0: Truth in its nature is untruth. Hello and welcome to the Continental Philosophy Now podcast. Today I'm going to be serving up a little bit of aletheia, or truth, according to Heidegger. Heidegger talked about aletheia from all the way throughout his works. So beginning with Being in Time, his main work in section 44, there you find an analysis of truth or the history of concepts of truth in philosophy and all the way to his later works. And today we're gonna take a look at a section in a late essay called The Origin of the Work of Art. And within that essay, we're gonna look at the section called The Work and Truth. The section is between pages 38 and 55. And in the podcast notes, I'll include a link to this text, which is available for free for your enjoyment online. At the bottom of page 48 of this essay, Heidegger asks, in an artwork, truth is set to work, but what is truth? And this is the question that we want to address. Let me first of all, give you a little bit of a context for the for making sense of this question. And here I'm referring to something that Gran Harmon um, said in his lecture on the origin of the work of art. And I will link to that lecture. It's available through YouTube. But he says that in tools, the material vanishes. But in the artwork, the material of which things are made becomes visible. So what he's referring to here is the beginning part, we're taking a look at the second section of this essay. The first section deals with the difference between um, artifacts that are made as tools and artifacts that are made through a creative process of art. For Heidegger, the main difference between these two is that with tools, we pick them up and we use them. And the material out of which that tool is made, the the essence, if you want to refer to matter as essence, vanishes. That is, we're, are, we're unconcerned with what a particular tool is made out of as long as it works. If it's made out of an inadequate material and the tool fails, then we begin to wonder about what the tool is made out of such that it has failed for us. But normally, the tools that we use Insofar as we are working with them, um, we become unconcerned with the material. So for him, tools are artifacts that operate in the mode of concealment. Art is an entirely different matter for him. And in contrast, art is work that um, in and through which the material of which things are made become visible, to use Harman's words. So this is the context through which he enters into this question of what is truth in and through works of art. And he's attempted to explain or to elucidate truth throughout his works. And this is probably one of the more successful and referred to definitions or treatments of truth by Heidegger. So let's get into the heart of the matter. What is so special about art? What is this truth at work in the work of art? The first thing that Heidegger does is describes the circular reasoning that usually characterizes thinking about truth. And this is pretty normal for Heidegger. That is, he will present the status quo, the accepted definition or idea that he's going to be unpacking and show why that idea is insufficient or is riddled with problems and then having cleared the ground of the or problematized the status quo received answer that lays the groundwork out of which he will propose his own answer so here's what he says quote by truth is usually meant this or that particular truth That means something true. A cognition articulated in a proposition can be of this sort. However, we call not only a proposition true, but also a thing. True gold in contrast to sham gold. True here means genuine, real gold. What does the expression real mean here? To us, it is what is in truth the true is what corresponds to the real and the real is what is truth. The circle has closed again. So here he's describing a circular logic at work in the received idea of truth as agreement. That goes all the way back to Aristotle. This is what he treats in more detail in section 44 of Being Time. That is ever since Aristotle what is true comes in the form of a proposition and a proposition is true if uh there's agreement between the idea and what is real and the problem with this as he points out is that there's a circularity of uh of reasoning that is the thing is true if the proposition that to which it refers is an agreement and the proposition is true if it's in agreement with the thing. However, this is circular logic because the one the truth of the one depends on the truth of the first. And then the other problem is that it propositions are true for specific things. So it only refers to the true. The truth of a, of a of a particular thing, not of truth as such, which is what Heidegger is after. So, in reference to that, Heidegger says, "Quote: Truth is the essence of the true. What do we have in mind when speaking of essence? The essence is discovered in the generic and the universal concept, which represents the one feature that holds indifferently for many things." So, let me explain that a little bit. If uh, Aristotle defined definition as that which gets a hold of the essence of the thing. So if you were to ask, what is a pencil? You would identify that which is essential, not just to this particular pencil, but to all pencils. So pencils are writing instruments. Um, but of course, there are other things that you can write with. You can write with a pen. You can write with charcoal, uh, with a piece of charcoal, right? Um, so... What differentiates a pencil from a pen is that it is something that uh, takes the, the charcoal that's inside of, usually it's made with wood, right? Uh, uh, in order to write. So pens and pencils are different in that pens use ink and pencils use charcoal. Now, usually pencils are made out of wood, but there are certain, certainly plastic pencils Pencils that are, you know, those modern ones where you tab at the top and it pushes out the little uh, lead piece. Oh, it's not charcoal, it's lead. That's correct. Okay. Um, So, the essence of a pencil is a writing instrument that uses lead in order to function. And an accidental quality of the pencil is that usually pencils are made of wood, but not always. So if you're looking at this particular pencil that is made out of wood, well, it's a writing instrument that uses lead to write, and it's made out of wood. What makes this a pencil is its agreement with the idea or the essence of what it means to be a pencil, what a pencil is. Okay, going back to the Heidegger. So he says that the essence is discovered in the generic and universal concept so truth attaches to the essence of the thing, which represents the one feature that holds indifferently for many things, many instances of, of that universal thing. This indifferent essence, essentiality in the sense of essentia, is, however, only the inessential essence, he says. The true essential nature of a thing is determined by way of its true being, by way of truth of the given being. But we're now seeking not the truth of essential nature, but the essential nature of truth. There thus appears a curious tangle. Is it only a curiosity or even merely an empty sophistry of a conceptual game, or is it an abyss? So again, here he's saying that with this model of what truth is, we can only arrive at whether this particular thing um, corresponds to the idea or the general essence, the universal of of the thing. So is this particular pencil a pencil? And if that proposition um, is true, then we take that truth to be true. So propositional truth is what is Uh, assigned to what is true. But he wants to get one level beneath that and ask not just what is the the essence of this particular thing, but what is the essence of essence, right? What is the truth through which this proposition can even be brought to question? Let me read you another quote. He writes, truth means the nature of the true. We think this nature in recollecting the Greek word aletheia, the unconcealedness of beings. So his answer is going to be aletheia. And the way that this is translated is as unconcealedness, the unconcealedness of beings. The word aletheia is a double negative word in the sense that the prefix a at the beginning of a Greek word means not. And the, what follows is, uncon- is uh, concealedness. So something that is concealed being unconcealed, this is the what Heidegger is saying, the Greek idea of what truth is prior to Aristotle. And he wants to go back to this idea because according to him, it grounds and it makes possible the rise of uh, truth is agreement and other models after that, all the way up to Descartes, and the problem with this idea of what truth is, is that it opens up the mind-body dualism. That is, if what truth is, is an agreement between an idea of what something is and an instance of that particular thing, then you have an idea and you have the reality. The reality is uh, something that is in-mattered, and The idea is something that, that has no matter, and the problem then emerges as to what is it that connects the world of matter, the phenomenal world, with the world of ideas. There's many answers to this, but you know, there's idealism, there's a realism, materialism. There's correspondence theories of truth, right? There's many, many ways in which that problem then uh, gets solved. But after Aristotle, the the name of the game of truth has been to try to bridge that gap. And for and this is why Heidegger will say, "Is it an abyss? Right? Is is this a gap that cannot be crossed?" And for him, a, a mistake is made with Aristotle. That is, a mistake is made. In shifting the question of truth from Aletheia to this kind of propositional truth uh, of agreement between idea and reality. And actually, probably even before Aristotle, I think that um, with Plato. So he's referring to the pre-Socratic idea of of Aletheia and trying to re-energize this concept. As I mentioned, he goes back to this idea of Aletheia throughout his works. And in this particular essay, he wants to give an account of truth of Aletheia as it emerges in the work of the work of art. And there's two examples that he gives us of works of art that he wants to take a look at. The first example is that from which this essay takes its name. It's Van Gogh's uh, painting entitled The Origin of the Work of Art. And it's a painting that you have probably seen of a pair of peasant shoes. This is how Heidegger describes these shoes. Quote, From the dark opening of the worn insides of the shoes, the toilsome tread of the worker stares forth. In the stiffly rugged heaviness of the shoes, there is the accumulated tenacity of her slow trudge through the far-spreading and ever-uniform furrows of the field swept by a raw wind. On the leather lie the dampness and richness of the soil. Under the soles slides the loneliness of the field path as evening falls. In the shoes, vibrates the silent call of the earth, its quiet gift of the ripening grain and its unexplained self-refusal and the fallow desolation of the wintry field, End quote. The second example that Heidegger gives us of a work of art is perhaps a little bit further from this. It's not a visual work of art, but it's the temple. And here is his description of the temple. Quote, standing there, the building rests on the rocky ground. This resisting of the work draws up out of the rock the mystery of that rock's clumsy yet spontaneous support. Standing there, the building holds its ground against the storm raging above it, and so first makes the storm itself manifest to its violence. The luster and gleam of the stone, Though itself apparently glowing only by the grace of the sun, yet first brings to light the light of the day, the breath of the sky, the darkness of the night. The temple's firm towering makes visible the invisible space of air. The steadfastness of the work contrasts with the surge of the surf, and its own repose brings out the raging of the sea." tree and grass, eagle and bull, snake and cricket, first enter into their distinctive shapes and thus come to appear as what they are. The Greeks early called this emerging and rising in itself, and of all things, phusis. It clears and illuminates also that on which and in which man bases his dwelling. We call this the earth. You can really hear the poetry in his words. And in fact, for, for Heidegger, poetry is the most important and the ground for all works of art. And that is because it deals with language and he has a special kind of, um, he calls language the house of being. So for him, language and poetry is the primary form of art. In this description of the temple, he makes reference to phusis. Phusis is the word that we get physics from. It's also the word for nature in Greek. And the root of the word phusis is "fool." So there's a special relation to this emergence, this "fool." You could hear it in the word, according to Heidegger, of this um, springing out of being that happens in the emergence of being into the phenomenal world. For us, Fusis means, first of all, Earth. So Earth plays a very important role in this uh, work. It is one of the, what is called the fourfold. Um, But unfortunately, the fourfold is a very difficult area of Heidegger and not one that I really even want to go near. So I'm just gonna leave it right there. The basic idea though, is that what is true is linked to an event, what he'll later call an, an event the emergence of being from the ground. And this ground is that unconcealment that he wants to call the essence of truth. Okay, now going back to the section that we're dealing with here, I want to read a few quotes and discuss each quote a little bit. But the quotes follow a certain argument that Heidegger is making. First, he's going to present the idea of the clearing. Then he's going to talk about unconcealment in terms of the refusal of concealment and the refusal that is dissembling, the dissembling of beings. And then finally, he's going to talk about hold, holding space. At the very end, he's going to identify truth with beauty. So that's the course that we're going to run through. Okay, let's talk about the clearing. Here's a quote. And yet beyond what is not far away from it, but before it, there's still something else that happens. In the midst of beings as a whole, an open place occurs. There is a clearing, a lighting, Thought of in reference to what is, to beings, this clearing is a greater degree than our beings. This open center is therefore not surrounded by what is, rather the lighting center itself encircles all that is, like the nothing which we scarcely know, End quote. Notice that this idea of the clearing is spatial and that he references the idea of nothing, which he says we scarcely know. So the, the, the ground for the emergence of truth, for fool, for nature, is something like this nothing that we scarcely know that he calls a clearing. The clearing is his word for what has been referenced to before as nothing. That is the ontological ground Uh, that makes fuo possible, that makes the emergence of truth as earth, as nature, the the bursting forth of the elements, of the elemental truth, the elemental um, ground for phenomena. This is what he calls the clearing. Now, the clearing is not something that we would have access to directly. We only have access to it in a negative way. This is why aletheía is a double negative. Um, And we'll talk about this in just a little bit. Let me talk about the two types of refusals, concealment and assembling, that are part of the emergence of truth. Here's a quote. Concealment as refusal is not simply and only the limit of knowledge in any given circumstance, but the beginning of the clearing of what is lighted. But concealment, though of another sort to be sure, at the same time also occurs within what is lighted. One being places itself in front of another being. The one helps to hide the other. The former obscures the latter. A few obstruct many. One denies all. Here concealment is not simple refusal, Rather, a being appears, but it presents itself as other than it is, end quote. This is really interesting, right? He's saying that being doesn't just emerge in and of itself, fully manifest for us to grasp, apprehend, uh, manipulate, identify, dominate, but that it appears at us other than what it is. It appears in a state of concealment. Being conceals being and obstructs other beings and denies the existence of other beings. So it's not as if this lighting is the unconcealment of being, but rather the emergence is one which occurs in and through concealment. The second way in which being is refused Is through dissembling, what he calls dissembling. Let me read you a quote. Concealment can be a refusal or merely a dissembling. We are never fully certain whether it is the one or the other. Concealment conceals and dissembles itself. This means the open place in the midst of beings, that is the clearing is never a rigid state or a permanently raised curtain on which the play of beings runs course. Rather, the clearing happens only as this double concealment. The unconcealedness of beings, this is never a merely existence state, but a happening. Unconcealedness, truth, is neither an attribute of factual things in the sense of beings, nor one of propositions. So a couple of important things here. First of all, this word happening introduces time into what has been up to now a spatial idea, that is of the clearing. Now we inject into this the idea of time. So it's not as if the ground of being becomes uh, as concealment, is what appears to us and somehow we're able to gain truth or get at truth by the negation of that concealment and the doors of being open and we are enlightened but rather it's a happening that is there's a moment an event where that mode of concealment of being emerges as such, that is, we realize that what being is, the truth of beings, is itself concealed and dissembled, and that that closes down again. So we might get a glimpse of Aletheia. We might grasp or sense uh, truth as it's manifest in concealment through beings, and this is not something that is enduring. It's not something that can be gotten a hold of and kept. we're going to talk about this holding in just a sec. But for him, this is what art does, right? Art is the work that deals with trying to manifest, to make apparent, to make appear the truth of beings as concealment and that in itself is an unconcealment of truth it's a kind of truth that is completely alien to the metaphysics of western thinking uh post uh, post plato but it is something that is very alive in the heart of pre-socratic philosophy there is a mystery that is not resolved and that is manifest as a mystery. And in the pre-Socratic theories and musings about what are things made out of, Fusis, what is Fusis? what is nature? They were called fusikoi, or philosophers of nature. And it's that sensibility that I think Heidegger wants to return to, and to say art is that which allows us to see the truth of beings as a concealment. We never actually get to the truth itself. We only get to it indirectly through its manifestation in the concealment of beings. Here's another quote. This denial in the form of a double concealment belongs to the nature of truth as unconcealedness. Truth in its nature is untruth. (laughs) one of those typical Heideggerian, you know, phrases, turn of phrases, truth in its nature is untruth. Again, we don't experience truth as anything other than the concealness of beings. That is what nature and the phenomenal world uh, gives us access to. What we call truth is actually, in its nature, the concealment of being, untruth. This turn of phrase is very reminiscent of Heraclitus' fragments. And I think Heidegger is very influenced by Heraclitus. Heraclitus being in presenting a kind of philosophy that was the rival of Parmenidean philosophy, the philosopher of the one, Aristotle, in tradition since Aristotle, has really taken up Parmenides' conception of truth as agreement, as unified, as whole, and carried that as far as possible into science, the development of science and technology. But there's another kind of alternate route that philosophy could have to could have taken if it had begun with a Heraclitean and Empedoclean philosophy and carried that line through. And I think Heidegger wants to return to that decision that was made in Greek philosophy, Aristotle and Plato, to follow the Parmenidean course and see what happens if we begin from not sameness in one, but... Heraclidean and Empedoclean ideas uh, that are much more supportive of th- concepts such as flux, process, difference, etc., etc. Okay, we have two more ideas that we want to talk about. The first is this idea of holding. And then finally, we're going to arrive at beauty. Here's a quote. Truth happens in the temple standing where it is. This does not mean that something is correctly represented and rendered here, but that what is as a whole brought into unconcealedness is held therein. To hold, halten, originally means to tend, keep, take care, huten. Truth happens in Van Gogh's painting, This does not mean that something is correctly portrayed, but rather that in the revelation of the equipmental being of the shoes, that which is a whole world and earth in their counterplay attains to unconcealedness. So here Heidegger goes back to the two main examples of his work, Van Gogh's painting and the temple, the Greek temple, in order to talk about how our works of art, such as these, are able to hold for us and before us the, the truth as such that is as untruth. It unconceals That truth is a form of concealment of being, if you can wrap your head around that. And this idea of holding is interesting to me because it does go back to, again, pre-Socratic ideas of space and of, quote unquote, nothing or void. Uh, Void is a really negative term that Aristotle uses, and he gets it from the atomists, Part of what space does is it, it receives beings. It holds being in their being. So part of what art does is it's a medium that, like space, functions like space in pre-Socratic thought. It receives uh, the truth of being. And it does that in such a way that we can perceive and appreciate. The emergence of being as a double concealment, the refusal of concealment, and the further dissembling of that concealment. A final word now about beauty. Here's a quote: "Thus, in the work, it is truth, not only something true, it is true, not as a particular thing, but truth itself that is at work." Continuing the quote. The picture that shows the peasant's shoes, the poem that says the Roman fountain, this is another example he gives us a, a poem, uh, do not just make manifest what this isolated being as such is. If indeed they manifest anything at all, rather they make unconcealedness, aletheia, true, as such happen in regard to what is as a whole. I think this is important because it's not a particular thing that Aletheia brings forth uh, or not the thing in particular. There's no particularity and therefore no need for a concept of universality, but rather a whole that is accessed, if you want to say, through the work that is in truth. A world emerges and appears to us. In and through the truth, aletheia, that that work of art, um, (laughs) fuos, to use the Greek, right, uh, bursts into the world, into the phenomenal world. Continuing with the quote, the more simply and authentically the shoes are engrossed in their nature, the more plainly and purely the fountain is engrossed in its nature, the more directly and engagingly do all beings attain to a greater degree of being along with them. And here the, the idea of a degree of being, the authenticity is a degree of being perhaps, uh, that things appear to us more dimly or less dimly in that art is something that can make things appear to us in this way by way of degree is interesting to me. Let me finish this. That is how self-concealing being is illuminated. Light of this kind joins its shining to and into the work. The shining joined in the work is the beautiful. Beauty is one way in which truth occurs as unconcealedness, end quote. This is a pretty fascinating idea of what beauty is, that beauty is the bringing, that beauty is the shining, <laughs> the bringing to light, a clearing for the manifestation of truth as this unconcealedness of the manifestation of being as that which is Um, engaged in a play of concealed displacement. I want to thank DPK Mank. Their Twitter handle is at Oratio... Oh, I better spell that. O-R-A-T-I-O-E-A-R-W-I-C-K-E-R Oratio Ear Wicker. Okay, ratio ear wicker. That must be a play on something. Tweet at me and let me know what the heck, how you got that name. Anyways, I think I want to thank you, although I'm not sure that I want to thank you for suggesting this topic. Initially, I know you wanted to hear about truth, and I saw that you're interested in Heidegger, so I thought maybe if I did a little bit on Heidegger and Aletheia, um, that that would be interesting. However, Aletheia is actually a really difficult topic. And talking about Heidegger is hard because... um, oh man, it's just something that has to be communicating and writing because you have to think about it as you're reading and making connections between words that are being used and such. It's a lot harder to do that when you're talking and listening. I also want to thank um, Eric Bowman, their Twitter handle is at E-R-B-O-H-M-A-N, for saying that you also wanted to hear about it because Having two people in the universe that wanted to hear a podcast on Heidegger's Aletheia um, is what got me to finish this podcast. Uh, It took me a couple of days. I had a lot of work lined up and... Um, So anyways, here it is. I also apologize if you hear noise in the background, there is construction happening around me and it's hard to find a time to record where it's totally silent. So hopefully you won't be able to hear too much of that and it won't be too distracting. This is Dr. Alfonso uh, signing off until the next time. I think I'm going to take up what is queer next time and then we're going to do Foucault's of Other Spaces, his essay on heterotopias, although I'm not sure quite what order they're going to come out in. So until the next one, take care.